Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Right, Bear Down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and well, no surprise here, folks. I mean, look, listening to me last week, I painted a, a grim picture and, and said that the Packers were going to rout the Chicago Bears. I had that misread, uh, so that was good news to see Justin Fields play well. Very well, in fact, I would say, despite the loss to the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers getting one more victory, and hopefully it is just one more victory against the Bears before we see him retire or play elsewhere. Great guest today, Brad Biggs, the beat, Chicago Bears beat writer, Chicago Tribune, going to be by here in just a few minutes. But let's take a minute and talk a little bit about what we saw transpire on Sunday. And first of all, let me say that I never cheered for the Green Bay Packers to beat the Chicago Bears. I sent out a tweet about draft position, and you would have thought I was wearing one of those stupid cheese hats with an Aaron Rodgers jersey on. I would not cheer for the Packers, uh, ever. I would not ever expect the Bears coaches and players to purposely try and lose games. But I had a whole lot of people in my mentions talking about win as many games as possible, who cares about draft position. And and look, the Chicago Bears franchise needs to try and win as many games as possible. That you do not tank as a franchise. But if you are a fan and you are looking at things big picture, you have to understand at this point that losses are better than wins. And I am not asking you to cheer for the Eagles or the Bills or the Lions or the Vikings down the stretch. That is not what I am saying at all. But when the game ends and the clock is 0-0-0, you have to look at it if the Bears lost and go, eh, that's not a bad thing. That's my point. And I brought up the 1997 Bears as a point because it's the perfect example. The team was toast. Dave Wanstead was clearly on his way out. He had lost the team. And the Chicago Bears were sitting, I believe the record was 1-10. and 1-10. and 10. They were toast. And they proceeded to win three out of their last five games. And what did that do for them? They went from potentially the number one pick, and had they finished with just one win in their last five, two and 14 would have been the number one pick. They would have had Peyton Manning as their quarterback for the next 20 years. But the Chicago Bears won some football games, finished 4-12, got the fifth pick and drafted Curtis Enos, and we know how that ended. So that's my point, is 
there are opportunities. And when I said that, a lot of people, well, there's no Peyton Manning in this draft, or we already have our, our Peyton Manning and Justin Fields. And that's fine. I get all that. But Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, those are special players. And those players are not going to be available at six or seven. Those players are going to be available maybe because of quarterbacks, because of Bryce Young. You know, I don't know who else is going to go early. They might be available at three or four. And that's where the Chicago Bears look like they may be drafting if they continue to lose games. And that's my point. That's the kind of impact player. You know, Jalen Carter is, is just a force. If you watched him play in the SEC Championship against LSU, you saw how special he is. I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is one of the, you know, arguably the best defensive player, top five defensive player of all time, lock. But you could even make the argument that he's the best defensive player in NFL history. I still go Lawrence Taylor, but he is right there. Dick Butkus, like he's in that group. Jalen Carter can be that kind of a wrecking ball. He can be a Hall of Fame talent. Will Anderson is a guy who is going to get after the quarterback on the edge. Those are special players. And if you can get them in a Bears uniform, you get them in a Bears uniform. If you can't, then you look at trading down and things like that. And that's where picking third versus picking sixth or seventh is a huge difference in this year's draft. So this is something we're going to be looking at the last month of the season, and we're going to be looking at individual players because just analyzing these games just doesn't make a lot of sense at this point. The Bears are out of it. We know they're out of it. We know Ryan Poles is going to flip a ton of this roster again next year. And we, you know, we have an idea of some players that are going to be around, but we don't even know the full grasp of this roster. So it's tough to sit here and analyze big picture. We want to look at, at particular things. So when I look at this Packers game, the one thing that I have to say that stands out to me is what Luke Getze did in the second half of this football game. It's confusing. I think a lot of Bears fans are upset about some of the play calls he did when a lot of conservative, a lot of runs, draws, screens, we, we all know I don't need to sit here and hash and go through every particular play. And Luke Getze absolutely deserves that criticism. I see some people sitting there saying, Luke Getze is tanking and trying to lose because that's how bad the play calls are. No, I do not think Luke Getze purposely tried to lose the football game to the Green Bay Packers. But I do have to wonder how Justin Fields felt in that second half. I'm sure they were in constant communication with how he felt. You know, I was, uh, yeah, I've been on this podcast, you know, on, on here and on Twitter and any platform I can find, you know, Windy City Gridiron writing articles that Justin Fields should not have played against the Packers. It didn't make any sense to me. You could have shut him down for those two games into the bye week. And then the following week, when you go Sunday to Sunday with, with no contact in between, that would have been four weeks of no contact on that shoulder. That thing would have been in much better shape and far more healed. And I have to wonder, because talking to people and seeing what was on Twitter by doctors and, and people of that nature, heck, Mason West, who's a contributor here on Windy City Gridiron, said similar things on his Twitter and on his podcast that Justin Fields, that this injury is going to take several weeks to heal. This is not the Justin Fields played against the Packers. I don't, I know he wasn't on the injury report, but Justin Fields was not healthy against the Green Bay Packers. He wanted to play. They let him play. He played very well, but it was a risk. And you sit, and I had a lot of fans getting on me that I'm treating him like a little kid. No, I'm treating him like the franchise quarterback who we want to see successful for a decade. And I don't give two you-know-whats 
about how he looks against the Green Bay Packers in a season where they're going to go 3-14 and 14 or 4-13. and 13. I'm sorry. It's just irrelevant. And don't give me this trying to learn how to win BS with Riley Reef out there who's not going to be on the roster and he's a veteran. Michael Schofield, he's not going to be on the roster. And Pringle and ESB and, and, and Nikhil Harry, they're most likely not going to be on the roster. So don't give me this trying to win BS. Justin Fields is one at every level. He understands what it takes. And yes, does he have to get better in certain aspects of the fourth quarter? Sure. But would it help if he had a supporting cast? I mean, the entire football world Everyone I've seen, ESPN, Fox, Twitter, you know, tape, tape grinders, PFF, everyone is destroying ESB for that route he took on the Alexander interception. Destruction about the extra steps and how slow it was. And Alexander basically said it was the easiest thing to read he's ever had to do, basically. You know, I, I made a joke to someone. We know the Mitch Trubisky, the famous, we made Mitch play quarterback. I swear that was just like, we made ESB play wide receiver. He just just laid it out there for Alexander, and Fields tries to throw a timing route and an, anticipa and an, an anticipatory throw, and he gets burned by it. And, you know, some people are going to jump on him and say he should be a running back again. Swell. You know, <laughs> that's what we need is to give them more ammunition because the, the skill positions on this team are dreadful. So getting back to Luke Getze, though, I wonder if Justin Fields was, you know, in a little more pain in that second half than he was in the first half. And they tried to get him away from running the football. I, I do have to wonder. Now, again, that doesn't mean they couldn't have thrown the ball more and done more things, but they really didn't utilize Justin Fields there. The question, the calls were definitely questionable. Again, I'm not trying to say Luke Getze tanked on purpose. I would never believe something like that. But the Luke Getze play calls there, look, he's a first-year play caller. He's going to have issues. He's going to make mistakes. He's not going to be perfect. Heck, skilled play callers that have been doing this for 20 years make mistakes. So Luke Getze in year one is certainly going to make mistakes. So we can't kill him on that. But bottom line here is Justin Fields looked good throwing the football. You have the completion percentage was high and it wasn't just dink and dunk. He went deep a few times and really showed some poise in the pocket, moved around. One play in particular, you know, stepped up in the pocket, felt pressure, didn't just take off and run. No, he saw Cole Clement at the sideline, flipped it over there for some yardage. Justin Fields is growing. It's so fun to see. And again, when I, when I say this, this isn't to rip Mitch Trubisky. We don't do that on this podcast anymore. He's not a bear. He's moved on. We've moved on. But trying to watch Justin Fields and reflecting on watching Mitch Trubisky, the growth is significantly different. Mitch Trubisky kept making the same mistakes. Mitch Trubisky would still flash plays with his, whether it's athleticism or with his arm talent, the, the talent he had. And, but it kept happening, but there wasn't growth. There wasn't, Mitch isn't doing this anymore. They used to be able to get, you know, Mitch used to get confused in this. And now you can see he, he gets the right read. That's the issue is, I guess I'll, I'll be honest in terms of watching quarterbacks as an analyst, so to speak, and trying to watch them grow and see them develop. Trubisky's really the first quarterback I, I did that with because when I started covering the Chicago Bears, Jay Cutler was already in a Chicago Bears uniform. And at that point, yes, was he a younger quarterback when they got him? Sure. But there wasn't there wasn't a lot of growth with Cutler. This was a veteran quarterback. He kind of was what he was at that point for most of his Chicago Bears career. 
the Cutler coverage was more about getting talent around him, getting an offensive line in front of him, things of that nature. And obviously when they finally did most of that, Cutler started playing much better towards the end of his career in, in Chicago, but it still wasn't enough. Uh, you know, so yeah, Rex Grossman and Cade McNown and, and younger quarterbacks like that, I watched as a fan, but I can't sit there and say I watched with the same, you know, combing through, re-watching games, et cetera, that I did with Trubisky. So that was kind of a learning experience for me, I'm not going to lie. So now I look at Justin Fields, and I can use Mitch Trubisky's growth or lack thereof in a comparison analysis, and I can see Justin Fields changing the way he's doing things. The quick game, the short game, the mid game, and how much better he's improving and getting in that. The pocket presence, the fumbles plummeting, the, the, the sacks going down. Everything you want to see is happening with Justin Fields, and that is an exciting aspect of this football team because again gobs of money and good draft picks and we're going to see what ryan poles can do assuming he's going to infuse a lot of talent into that offensive side of the football for 2023 as for the game overall look again when you pull back and take away the fact that the name on the you know the opponent's name is the green bay packers kind of what you wanted justin fields played well in a loss that's kind of what you wanted, big picture. I hate to say that. And again, I was cheering for Justin Fields to pull that game out at the end. Do not get me wrong. But again, pull back, not a bad thing that this that this happened. And you can sit there and say, well, Aaron Rodgers beat the Bears again and gets to hold up that finger against the Bears one more time and salute the Bears crowd in a very sarcastic way that he did. But here's the thing. Who played better? at quarterback, Justin Fields or Aaron Rodgers? The answer is real simple. Yet did Justin Fields have two interceptions and Rodgers have none? Sure, but anyone who watched that game knows that Justin Fields had a bigger impact on that game than Aaron Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers stink, but they still have a lot more talent on the football field than the Chicago Bears do. And if you wanted to talk about a passing of the torch, we saw it in that game anyway despite a loss. You know, it kind of feels like the 2018 Bears-Packers game to start the season when Khalil Mack made his debut and was a wrecking ball. The Chicago Bears lost that game, and that was a painful loss. But that game felt like the 2018 Bears arriving with Khalil Mack. And despite them losing that game, it was like, hey, this is something to be reckoned with. And that's what I felt like with Justin Fields and Aaron Rodgers on Sunday, is Aaron Rodgers was the aging quarterback who was enough of a veteran and enough of a skilled player to pull out the win, but Justin Fields and the immense talent was passing him by. And Aaron Rodgers at this point, I'm hoping and I think he's done in Green Bay. I don't think he's done in the NFL, but I think Aaron Rodgers, look, Aaron Rodgers is, a, you know, despite some of his views, I think is overall a pretty smart guy in terms of his understanding of football and legacy. And Aaron Rodgers is a big legacy guy about himself. He wants his name to be up there with the all-time greats. And to really cement that, winning a second Super Bowl would be a big deal for his legacy. We know the crazy arm talent and the MVPs and how much he's, he's done on the football field, but he's only got one title. And for quarterbacks, those, you know, those, those rings matter. 
You know, you don't sit there and go, well, Tony Gonzalez couldn't win a title because Tony Gonzalez is a tight end. It's a different thing. Quarterbacks in the playoffs, those records, those win-loss records, to me, matter. I'm not saying it's a, you know, quarterback, you know, wins is a quarterback stat, but playoff record absolutely matters for quarterbacks. I believe that 100% of the time. It's not like a quarterback who's on a bad team, sneaks, you know, Matt Stafford, who was on a bad team, snuck into the playoffs a couple times, didn't have much of a playoff record because he just didn't have opportunities. When you're on a good team and you're constantly getting a place at the table, if you're sitting there with a two and seven playoff record, you gotta look internally a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers has only gotten to the promised land once here, and that's a problem for his legacy. Doesn't mean he's not a top 10 quarterback, probably still even a top five quarterback, but you wanna be up there with Tom Brady and Joe Montana and that level, you gotta win Super Bowls. And he hasn't done that. And I think Aaron Rodgers knows that. So when Aaron Rodgers looks around in the locker room and sees the team around him and still knows they're in cap hell and the issues that they have, Aaron Rodgers is going to know if he wants to stick around and play, he needs to play elsewhere. Because if he wants to try and win a Super Bowl, if that's what he's sticking around to do, he's not going to win a Super Bowl in Green Bay. That team isn't it. Peter Bukowski said it last week. This team isn't it. And maybe that's why he's disinterested. But this team isn't getting any better next year. It's going to be basically the same team, maybe a few tweaks here or there, but it's not going to be a Super Bowl contender next year. So Aaron Rodgers is either going to retire, walk away from a lot of money, or Aaron Rodgers, I think, is going to leave and say, I want to be traded to a contender. And, and there are teams out there that have a pretty good roster and not a quarterback, and it would be interesting to see how much they think Aaron Rodgers has left in the tank because he hasn't played that well this year. Is it because he's getting old? Is it because he's banged up and has had a broken thumb and oblique and rib injuries and everything? Possibly. Is he disinterested because he knows the team stinks? Possibly. We don't know what is left in Aaron Rodgers' tank. All we know is he's not playing well this year, and it'll be curious to see what the Packers can get in a trade for him because they're basically running out of time with Jordan Love. They've got to pick up the fifth-year option after this year. They don't have a choice because they haven't seen him enough. They're certainly not going to potentially let him walk. And... They, they have to get him on the field. Now, I suppose you could have Aaron Rodgers, you could pick up the fifth-year option, you could have Aaron Rodgers play one more year and then switch to Jordan Love, and then if you decide you do want to extend him, you could franchise tag him to buy that extra year. But they don't have a lot of time to decide what Jordan Love is. So interesting crossroads for the Packers, but for the Chicago Bears, hey, tank loss, baby. They are currently second. I don't know if they're going to, even if they lose out, they may not finish second. They may fall to third or fourth in the draft. But again, I think the Houston Texans probably have to take Bryce Young. You can't sit there number one and have a QB prospect like Bryce Young and not take the quarterback. But, and then at that point though, I think it's a crapshoot. You know, is Will Levis, is CJ Stroud, are they going to be top five picks? Anthony Richardson, is he going to test through the roof and skyrocket up and become a top 10 pick. You're really curious how these QBs are going to be seen because for the Chicago Bears, hungry teams that need quarterbacks potentially means a huge payday in terms of what they can get in terms of a draft day trade if they decide to trade back. So a lot of interesting things down the stretch. But we're going to talk to Brad Biggs coming up now. We got a lot to get in with Brad. We're going to talk Justin Fields. We're going to talk about the rest of the season, Ryan Poles. We're going to get into all of it with Brad Biggs. Next, this is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman. Be right back.
All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for this guest. He's been nice enough to come on uh, at least once a year the last few years. He's the big dog on the Chicago Bears beat, been doing it for over 20 years. And he is Brad Biggs of the Chicago Tribune at Brad Biggs on Twitter if you don't follow him already. And I'm sure you do. Brad, Bill Zimmerman, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? I'm doing okay. So I guess let's obviously start uh, right with the Bears-Packers game here. I think if you go big picture for the Chicago Bears and the future of the Chicago Bears, I understand nobody as a fan and probably as a player wants to lose to the Green Bay Packers. But when you look big picture, losing a game where they keep a high draft position where the season's already lost and seeing Justin Fields perform well, not just running the ball, but throwing the ball may have been the best case scenario for this team. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy into the, you know, keep stacking losses for uh, a better draft pick. I I, I get it. I, I do. And, and there's certainly a range that they're going to fall in uh, when you're looking toward April and in the, in the first round. But eventually, I think you want the players in the locker room to be able to say, hey, yeah, I we believe in what the coaches are doing here, right? They're putting us in a position to pull out some of these close games. And I think from a coaching perspective, you want to be able to say, Hey, we've got young players in challenging spots that are coming up at a key and defining moments in ball games. Like eventually you want to see that happen. Uh, do you, do you want to see them, uh, went out the rest of the way. Well, I, you know, I don't know. If that's realistic. They've got some tough teams <laughs> on the schedule Buffalo, coming yeah. up a, a, after the bye. But I, you know, you look at it. Yeah, Fields was better throwing the ball. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, and he looked more comfortable. I think you, you know the numbers. You take away the interceptions, the numbers look good. Uh, and and just as importantly, I think it kind of passed the eye test. Um, in terms of his comfort out there and, and what he was able uh, to accomplish. You, you want to you, you take away uh, two interceptions in the final three minutes, though, and, and you can't do that uh, when they had an opportunity to go and, uh, and potentially win that football game. So he's made real progress, and I thought it was great to see him back out there and playing well you had some people saying they should shut him down. They should rest him, this and that. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, you got a guy who, uh, since he became the starter last season has now missed five games because of injury. And you've got questions about, you know, how much can he continue to get better this season? And I just went and looked at that four game stretch they had coming out of the new England game, starting with the new England game where the offense was putting up a ton of points. And I'm like, look at, Look at how sort of the tenor of the season and and the future with young players changed in that four-game stretch. So why wouldn't you want him back out there with five games remaining, now obviously four uh, following the, the Green Bay game? And, and here's what I'll say on those points. And, and, and I understand hundred percent where, where you're coming from. For me, there were, there were, there were two things there for in, in terms of draft positioning, if they were sitting at say five and eight right now, I, the, the ninth to like the 13th pick, there isn't nearly as much as a gap as there is from like two to seven. And, and I think 
the potential to be that high is where I say kind of best case scenario. If they end up winning a couple of games and fall to six, seven, it's a significantly kind of difference in terms of potential teams that want to trade up for a quarterback. I think Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are probably the most talented guys here. And both would make significant impacts on the bears in terms of their weaknesses. And in terms of fields, I thought the sensible thing was just to sit in one week that would give him into the buy that give him a full four weeks without contact. And then I shutting him down for the rest of the year is a bad idea, but I thought, you know, getting him that extra game, I get it's the Packers and you're going to think differently, but getting him that one extra game off into the buy where he then gets a full four weeks without contact on that shoulder, I thought may have been a better approach, but Hey, the way he played on Sunday, he, you know, Justin Fields continues to prove he's a gamer. Yeah, no, no question about that. And, um, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the draft order. They could win a couple ball games here late. You know, they could uh, they could go to Detroit and win. And um, I don't know that a lot of people have considered the possibility that if the Vikings are sort of locked into a playoff position before that Week 18 game, that is there a possibility that Minnesota doesn't uh, suit up a Kirk Cousins, a Justin Jefferson, a Harrison Smith? Uh, some key players uh, in order to to ensure they're healthy uh, for the playoffs. If that's the case, that would quickly become a a very winnable game uh, for the Bears if they, if they're not playing their best guys. And even if Minnesota is rolling out uh, frontline guys, uh, the, as you know, the Vikings have had a terrible time for most of the last two decades playing at Soldier Field. So there's there's and that's not discounting the possibility they spring an upset at home on Philly or Buffalo. So there's a chance the bears add a couple of victories here uh, in the, in the final four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Minnesota point is huge, especially with Jimmy G out for the year, the, the, the Niners are certainly going to have be more difficult time finding wins than they were on a roll. The NFC South stinks. I and mean, the Vikings are probably going to be locked into that number two spot, I would think, and probably not have a reason to play anyone. So I, I think that's absolutely something that, that, you know, is going to, is going to be a, a high probability for that final game of the season. But let, let, let me ask you a little bit about Justin Fields, because you're someone who's been on this beat long enough that you've seen, you know, as a Bears beat writer, a, a variety of quarterbacks out there. And, and, you know, from the, you know, in terms of watching young quarterbacks develop, obviously Jay Cutler wasn't a rookie, but he was, you know, he was in that rookie contract, still a young quarterback when he came aboard. Mitch Trubisky, Justin Fields, Rex Grossman. I don't know if you were there for the Cade McNown debacle. I think that was a touch before you. But again, you know, I'm sure you were following the team then. So in terms of watching growth, you know, for for me, and, you know, I I remember this whole stretch, but, you know, when I was watching Bears games in the late 90s, early 2000s, I wasn't watching them with, you know, as much of an objective hat and was more just, you know, straight fandom. In In terms of watching tangible development in terms of the young quarterbacks, it feels to me, and that's why I want to ask you, you tell me if I'm wrong, that fields this year in terms of the the decrease in fumbles, the, the pocket awareness and moving around and not necessarily panicking. I think the, the moving around in the pocket and throwing the Colt Komet against the Packers over on the sideline was a great example of that. You know, taking what the defense gives you, not always trying to force the deep ball. I feel like there's tangible growth with fields this year that I did not see as much with previous quarterbacks that obviously, you know, didn't work out as well. We're hoping fields works out more, but is, is that something you agree with? Or, or do you think it's, it's kind of been similar with some of the other young quarterbacks in years past? 
No, I, I, I think we've seen, we've seen, absolutely, we've seen growth from him, and especially recently throwing the football a little bit, and and that's where, that's where we're going to be looking. We know how electric he is running the ball, right? It's it's now a question of kind of marrying the two, the two parts, right? Can you can you get the, uh, can you get the passing game to where it's operating? at a high level. Uh, I think fu- the fumbles are still an issue. We ha- they haven't been recently, but I, he may still lead the league in, in terms of fumbles. They've, and the bears have been extraordinarily um, lucky really in, in terms of recovering the vast majority of those. Right. And, and that is kind of a luck thing. I think recovering the fumbles, but, um, and I like the, Comet play. I like to reference that. I liked, um, you know, the the uh, second reaction played in the Keel Harry. You know, that's a throw sure. downfield and make a big play instead of uh, pulling it down and and running it. And so you're, yeah, I think you want to see more examples of that where he uses that uncanny athletic ability to then throw the ball. We, we we know what he can do when he decides, well, I'm just going to run it. And some people will say, hey, maybe they should have run the ball more with him uh, in the second half of that game. But, you know, if we go back to, to 2018, which was year two for Mitch, year one in the offense, you, you thought you were seeing growth there. Now in the second half of that season, they really didn't score a lot of points. Um, I, I don't want to ignore the idea that, that we thought we were seeing development previously by some other guys I, I think you need to I think you need to kind of look at fields and and look at him in a vacuum and and just judge kind of what he's doing based off of uh, what he's done previously he's come a long ways since the start of the season and um, you know hopefully we get to mid-January and you say you know what boy those final five games that was an important stretch for him uh, the coaching staff's got to feel energized about uh, what they saw from him moving forward, because uh, this roster will look different next year. They will make uh, some a bunch of additions on both sides of the ball, and you just hope that uh, they've they've got something to build off of is build off of as they head into uh, year two for the regime, and, and what'll be year three for Justin, where you're going to be looking at it, saying, okay, this is the huge test now, year three can he make that kind of huge leap, which is, it was year three for Josh Allen and, and we're seeing year three in Philadelphia this season for Jalen hurts. Can he, can he kind of follow that trajectory uh, that those guys took? Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. And I think you're right. Assuming Ryan Poles infuses as much talent as we're expecting in this off season that, you know, in essence, the, the excuses, so to speak, will be gone. The, the lack of talent, the lack of pass protection, those things should be significantly better. So, you know, we'll absolutely see if we get that boom, but while you talked about the change in, in roster next year, and I think obviously, you know, I, I always reference with Ryan Pace, you know, when he basically got his team that he wanted on the field, the guys left over for Phil Emery, the total was five and two of them were special teamers, Pat O'Donnell and, and Sherrick McManus to go with Kyle Fuller, Kyle Long, and Charles Leno. Everything else was was a new guy that that Pace brought in. So kind of assuming that Ryan Poles is going to have a a similar 
attitude in terms of flipping this roster and, and not having a, a, a large amount of Ryan Pace guys push through to this, this team in, in the next couple free years. Looking at this offensive line, let, let's start there. You know, I, Braxton Jones has, has flashed some. I think a lot of people are very happy with what Tevin Jenkins has done. Uh, you know, Larry Borum seems to have fallen out of favor. You know, there, there's there's a lot that can be done there in terms of drafting and in free agency, but you can't go into the draft with gaping holes. You know, you have to try and film in free agency. So what do you think polls or what would you expect him to do in terms of focusing on free agency with this offensive line come March? You know, two starters, you know, a tackle, a center. What, what, what do you think would be a wise uh wise path to take well yeah you've got to you got to evaluate um the group as a whole and and then you've got to narrow it down and have individual evaluations there right and what do you what do you want to do with the guys you have i think you i think you got to start at the tackle position how do you feel you know do you is it arrow up for braxton jones do you feel like um that he performed to the level you would have liked, maybe even a little bit better. And you feel like it's arrow up for him going into year two. What are you going to do at right tackle? That's a, that's a huge question mark for me right now. Um, I, you know, at this point right now, if you had to make a decision right now, the best you could say about Alex Leatherwood is you let him compete for a job next season. Right. I, sure. you know, you're not gonna, you're not going to do any more than that with him. Um, Cody Whitehair is going into the final year of his deal. Uh, he's making good money, but they've got more cap space than they're going to be able to really use. Uh, you you remove a guy like that, you just create another need. You know, every guy you remove, just keep in mind, you are adding to your um, expansive list of needs. How do you feel about Sam Mustafer? What do you want to do with Lucas Patrick next year? Right, he was going to be the center. What do you take seven, eight snaps at center yeah, exactly. in the first quarter of the New England game? Um, and when Lucas Patrick played this season, he didn't play very well. I I really thought they were going to make more moves in free agency on the offensive line this year, right? And they they tried to they tried to snag uh, Ryan Bates out of Buffalo on a on a RFA offer sheet, and as everybody knows, that that didn't uh, materialize. But they didn't make a lot of moves. This year, you would expect more um, what, you know, as you look at Braxton Jones, okay, well, who are the left tackles that are available? Like, you're going to really, really pay top dollar if you want to get a premium guy, if there's a premium guy uh, out there. Um, I know everybody talks about the center position. You got to see where that's at. The, The line has played better than people want to admit this year, right? When Whenever... Whenever something bad offensively happens, everybody points the finger at the line. Uh, I don't know uh, that the coaches are looking at it similarly, uh, but that group does have to get better, and, and polls has got to be more active with that group. If you uh, are earmarking a, um, a defensive player with that first pick, and I certainly think that they need to go with somebody in the front four uh, with that pick in round one, now you're talking about a late second round pick is your next selection. Um, you can find a guard there for sure. Maybe, maybe a right tackle. I, I don't know. And that leaves a host of other position. You know, well, what about a wide receiver? Well, what about 
um, more help for the defense. You know, they need a weak side linebacker. Uh, we could just go on and on and on. So hopefully finding some answers in free agency for the offensive line would be a nice start to the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And and since you switched over to the defensive side of the ball, let me jump over there for a second. I had uh, Adam Johns on this podcast a few weeks ago. It was kind of right after the Roquan trade, right before the emergence of Jack Sanborn. And he basically mentioned that, you know, maybe Justin Jones, but they may need like an entirely new front seven in, in 2023, just watching them perform. And I mean, that's was right after they were getting steamrolled by, you know, teams like the Cowboys and stuff. So, you know, it, it made sense. But, you know, just specifically looking at Jack Sanborn, I mean, this is one, you know, just the fact that he's a local product and just is the type of guy that Bears fans would just embrace and love and just watching him play the instincts that he he always seems to have a step on you know when an offensive lineman is trying to get him at the second level he's already got a step and he's moving over you know he's pretty athletic he's he's not the most athletic guy but he absolutely squeezes every drop out out and is just i mean 10 10 12 tackles at a half i mean he's all over the football field yeah i i have i understand he's an undrafted free agent rookie but if I'm Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus right now, you know, I, I feel pretty confident being able to, to pencil Jack Sanborn in as my Mike linebacker in 2023. Oh, yeah, I, I think he's he's certainly shown enough to feel like, hey, there's a guy here that can be part of a completely reimagined front seven. And I don't know you can I don't know if they can rebuild the whole thing in. Well, I know this. They cannot rebuild the front seven and have it exactly how they want in one off season. Like that's not going to happen. Right. It's impossible. But as you talk, as you talk about, you know, who could fit, who needs to be replaced. I absolutely Sanborn can fit, and you'd love for a guy like that to fit because he's on a rookie contract, right? I mean, he is he is cheap labor. As you look to uh, fill in some parts. Uh, elsewhere on that front seven that are going to cost you a lot of money at defensive tackle. Um, I, I would think they want to draft a, a weak side linebacker, but that seems to be more prudent to me than going out and, and buying a guy uh, for, for that position. But uh, yeah, Sanborn, you're, you're always going to have some questions, I think, about the speed, but he's, he's, he's chipping away at those questions by how he performs every week. Because of the instincts, he's a guy that you know is certainly playing faster than his timed speed, which is the reason he went undrafted out of Wisconsin. Yeah, it plays faster. That's exactly the way to put it, 100%. And I think those instincts, because he just gets, he's just moving in the right direction quicker than everyone else, it seems. So well, while we, we kind of wrap up this conversation, let me kind of ask you about, about the coaches this year and their performance you know, kind of give me your rundown on Matt Eberflus and give me your rundown on what you think Luke Getze's done, you know, first year play caller, you know, he, obviously there's going to be some bumps in the road. I think a lot of people were upset with some of the stuff he did early, loved what he was doing in the middle year. I know a lot of Bears fans were, were very vocal about some of the decisions he made in the second half. I don't know if maybe Justin Fields was banged up in a little, in a little more pain than he was in the first half on some of those you know, runs and screens and draws and whatnot that he was doing in the second half. So kind of what, what's your assessment on, on Eberflus as a head coach slash defensive coordinator, even though it's not, you know, his title and, and Luke Getzey on the offense. Well, I think Eberflus has done a nice job at keeping the players engaged. 
the energy level remains pretty high in the locker room, which uh, when you have a team that's three and 10, that's not always the case. Right. And um, part of that is a product of having a young roster, right? They've got guys that know that they are battling to be in the mix moving forward. And when you've got uh, guys that are motivated in that way, it's a little easier to keep the energy level up, but he, he's, uh, he's trying to stress the positives. You know, you, you talk to him on Mondays when they come out of a game and he's going over, you know, what they did well. And he's, and he's trying to hammer on those in the meetings too, you know, before they get to the correctable points and the stuff that they want to try to clean up a little bit uh, on the practice field. So uh, from that standpoint, I, I think it's been a success. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the records, the, the big indicator here, and he's going to have some time to, uh, to turn that around and improve that. But just in terms of the energy, uh, the buy-in kind of the vibe you get in the building, that's still very positive in my mind, which again, with the record as poor as it is, uh, that is, there's something to be said for that. I think Getsy's done a great job. I, I really do. And, and, um, you know, people around here are experts at second guessing uh, the play calling. Um, there's no question about that. You know, he it took him a little bit of time at the start of the year to figure out what his guys did well, what they weren't doing well, and then try to put them in a position to succeed. When you look at you know how they were piling up points, like you haven't seen a Bears team score uh, in the longest time that was working, you, you, you know, for everybody who wants to dump on the offensive line. And I understand why they've run the hell out of the ball. They're, they're averaging, they were over 200 a game. I think they're at about a, a buck 89 right now. Um, it, the linemen are blocking, right. And, and so he's found ways to utilize these guys. He's uh, found things that, that really work uh, for fields Okay, he's gotten creative with some of this running stuff, you know, like there are teams that are, you know, they're staying up late at night to prepare for the Bears and the Bears are still running the football on them. You look at the lack of playmakers that the Bears have on offense. This this team's converting like 46 percent of its third downs. They're about two points ahead of the franchise record uh, for third down conversions with with who? on offense. So, uh, I get it. You know, maybe gets, he didn't make the perfect calls, uh, late in the green Bay game. They didn't throw it in the red zone. Well, they haven't thrown it in the red zone all year, which is a bit of a tell, you know, I, I don't know, uh, that the, he's comfortable calling a lot of those plays, uh, when they get in the red zone, especially considering the success that they have had running the football. But I have been impressed by his ability to take what he has and try to squeeze the most out of it to what can we do with these guys this Sunday against that opposing defense to put as many points as possible up. Um, that's largely been uh, a success in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, you know, when you go through a four or five week stretch where you're averaging 30 points a game and you're not doing it against like Detroit, New England, Dallas, Miami, I mean, good football teams with, with solid defenses. And the fact that they were able to pull that off with, like you said, limited, limited play. I mean, Khalil Herbert missed some of those games. It's, it's impressive 
what what he's done. I, I agree with you 100%. Well, there he is, Brad Biggs, at Brad Biggs on Twitter. The big dog on the Chicago Bears beat, Brad. Thanks for so much time. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. You got it, Bill. Happy holidays, buddy. All right. There he is, folks, Brad Biggs. He's the big dog on the Bears beat. He does a hell of a job. He's the best insight. He's got the most information. He's been around this league, this team and this league a long time. He's seen it all from Cade McNown, Jay Cutler to Justin Fields. So a lot of great stuff there from Brad. We disagree a little bit on the draft position because, again, I, I get, you know, like I said, Matt Eberflus needs to put together a game plan. Him and Luke Getze and, and Williams, they need to sit down and put together a game plan, and they need to make sure their players are engaged and motivated, and they need to try and win football games. And their goal right now is to finish the year 7-10. and 10. That's their goal, and that should be their goal. And I do not fault them for making it their goal. I do not want teams to tank. I do not want teams to lose games intentionally. But all I'm saying is at this point is finishing 7-10 and 10 and having the 14th pick in the draft versus finishing 3-14 and 14 and having the third pick in the draft is wildly different in terms of the future of the Chicago Bears. And if you ask me the 3-14 and 14 and getting Jalen Carter or Will Anderson or one of those types versus what you get at 14 and getting maybe an offensive lineman or a cornerback or something, maybe a wide receiver, and I understand they need wide receivers too. I'm not saying they don't have other position positional needs, but I'm saying the difference in terms of the impact that those type of top-end players can have in that top three or four picks is massively different, massively different. And, and like I said, Brad Biggs shouldn't sit there and say, oh, yeah, they need to lose games. I'm not saying he should. But I'm saying when you look at the big picture, look at the big picture. Don't get short-sighted and sit there and go, we lost to the Packers again. No, don't have that attitude. There, you know, you, you can feel the momentum shifting. And, and did the momentum shift all the way? No, it didn't. But I think Aaron Rodgers knows it. I think Bears fans know it. I think Packers fans know it, that this, this rivalry is about to shift. I'm not saying the Bears are going to go on a 15-year run where they win, you know, six, you know, five out of six games every three years. But I do think they're going to take control of this rivalry once again. I think Justin Fields is definitely a better prospect than Jordan Love. Uh, I heard Phil Sims the other day on Mad Dog Radio talking about Jordan Love and going, look, you know, I know Chris Collinsworth was just ooing and eyeing over Jordan Love's performance a couple weeks ago, but those are throws an NFL quarterback needs to make. They weren't impressive throws. They weren't amazing throws. They were just throws that an NFL quarterback needs to make. And Phil Sims was basically saying, so does that mean he can start in the league? Sure. But does that mean he's a difference maker? No. I think Phil's kind of saying he's in that 15 to 20 range potentially as quarterbacks when he gets his opportunity. And as we know, when you get in that range, you get in the Derek Cars and the Kirk Cousins and, and those type of guys, and you sit there and go, are they good enough to win with? And that is purgatory in the NFL. When you have a quarterback who's too good to get rid of, but not good enough to win with. I mean, that's kind of the Bears with Jay Cutler. And they went 7-9 and nine seemingly every year. That's kind of the situation the Packers may be trending towards with a giant piece of dead cap of Aaron Rodgers hanging over their heads for one year in the near future as well. So when you look at it that way, you got to sit there and, and, and understand that big picture things are looking good and not worrying about a loss to the Packers. Because, look, we got a bye week coming up. Let Justin Fields rest up and heal a little bit more. And let's see what he can do against the Eagles and the Buffalo Bills, because those are brutal games. And I'll be honest, 
You, you can't sit there and expect the Bears to be very competitive in those games. They just don't have enough talent to be on the field with those guys. I understand those games are at home, but those games are going to be, forget win, those games are going to be very difficult for the Chicago Bears to compete. So no predictions this week as we've got to buy and kick our feet up and then put on the Red Zone channel on Sundays because we don't have to watch a Bears loss. Just enjoy some NFL football this weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Bear down, everybody. Adios.